It's Monday, November 15th. Welcome to Market Fullery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Jason Moser. Good to see you. Hey, good to see you. We've got a preview of holiday spending. We've got WeWork's first report card. But we're going to begin with the business of fake beverages. Oatly, the company built on the process of using oats to create milk, lost less money in the third quarter than Wall Street was expecting, but overall revenue was light. Guidance for the full fiscal year was lower than expected. Shares of Oatly are down nearly 20% today. And this is a company that went public back in May, and the stock has basically been cut in half from where it was on the first day of trading. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly seems reasonable to reaction today. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad quarter. I mean, if you look at the, the numbers, I mean, they brought in $171.1 million. It was up almost 50% from a year ago. But the, the, the revised guidance, I think, is, is what really has, has the market sour, so to speak, on the company today. They guided down from $690 million just a quarter ago. They were calling for $690 million in, in revenue for the full year. Uh, they, they guided that down to $635 million, so guided well down on capital expenditures as well. Um, they are running into some issues, part partly regarding capacity, some issues that were going on in the build-out of, of certain capacity, um, and, and then also ongoing COVID restrictions around the world. I mean, this is not just a business that makes its, makes its money here in, in the States. I mean, it is a global business as a Relatively strong presence in Asia, uh, so ongoing uh, ongoing headwinds there in Asia are causing a little bit of a problem for the business. But I mean, it, yeah, it, it, it's it's. I start looking at businesses like Oatly. Uh, it, it makes me think of something like Beyond Meat, and it it feels like. You know, it feels like I mean these are these are good businesses pursuing a valid market opportunity, but it feels like to me, you know, we talk a lot about you and I do about businesses where maybe you feel like there's a ceiling. Um, it's not necessarily a bad business, not something going to zero, but it feels like maybe there's a ceiling. It's, it can only it can only grow so much. It feels like maybe Oatly falls into that category for me because they're pursuing that alternative market, right? Whether it's meatless options or or uh, something something like like Oatly that that takes dairy out of the equation. There's a market opportunity there, but it is a limited market opportunity, right? And what's more than on top of that, there's a lot of competition within that space, which just makes it. I think it just makes it difficult for for a lot of these businesses to really look attractive from from an investment perspective, right? It feels like there's a ceiling. Um, I I would imagine things will get better for them given given the uh, given the headwinds they're facing right now. But but certainly understandable the market selling off the stock to the degree it is today. When you think about the ceiling for this business, and I'm glad you pointed out the competition because it it seems it seems like when we talk about um, non-alcoholic beverage companies, particularly startup companies. Some of them are very clear about the fact that right out of the gate, our goal is to get bought. Our goal is to be acquired by a Coca-Cola, a Pepsi, you know, that sort of thing. I'm not begrudging uh, the management at Oatly if they are feeling the same way. Um, yeah. but, but I'm just wondering, like, if that is in fact the case, whether that's their intention or not, if the ultimate destiny 
for businesses like Oatly are at some point they're going to get acquired or they're just going to get put out of business. That that to me is is what sort of prevents it from making its way to my watch list. <laughs> yeah, that that's definitely one factor to consider. I mean, it does feel like this is the type of business that could be better served as as a, a member of, of of many brands, right? If if it was under under sort of an umbrella that that possessed a number of different brands, uh, we do certainly see that. I mean, Diageo in, in the in the alcoholic space, right? I mean, that's that's a good example of a business where they have a ton of brands underneath that umbrella um, and, and have succeeded with that strategy. It, it, maybe maybe there is something there with Oatly. I think it'll be. It really does depend on sort of the optionality where they can go with this plant-based or oat-based beverage idea, because there are certainly other avenues they can pursue. I'm just not certain what they are, but but I mean, it, it, it is a business. I mean, there's a retail side to the business. There's also a food service side to the business as well. So they are not one-dimensional in that regard. They do have a large. Uh, a large overall customer base when, when you consider the food service channel as well. Uh, something similar to McCormick in that regard, right? And, and that's great that you have exposure to the food service industry, whether it's restaurants or, or other types of facilities. That is lower margin uh, revenue typically, though, right? You're, you're taking a little bit of a hit on pricing there, um, which if, if you look at food service for Oatly, I mean, in the third quarter of this year, food service accounted for 35.8% of the business. Uh, a year ago, that was just 27.3%. So it's it's good to see they're getting more buy-in from the food service space. Um, that certainly is something that could play out on the bottom line. And for a company that is so new, so young, and really trying to get its way towards profitability, that that's going to be, I think, an added headwind. Um, so so that that definitely remains to be seen. Um, it, it's really it's really hard to to figure. How far they can take this uh, while the market will will look at it with with continued scrutiny, I'd imagine. WeWork issued its first report as a public company. Revenue was 11% higher than a year ago. Uh, The loss was smaller than a year ago. And based on those two things alone, I think that's maybe part of why we're seeing shares of WeWork up a little bit uh, earlier today. What'd you think? Yeah, I mean it, it. So we know the backstory. <laughs> it's it's difficult to, to to reset our minds and expectations, particularly if you've seen uh, that documentary on Hulu or or read any of the books in regard to what's what's the WeWork story, so to be. But um, I, I mean, it is worth remembering. I mean, this is a fundamentally different story now. I mean, there's new leadership. There's new culture, hopefully, that comes from that, and, and frankly, I mean, a new valuation, which you need to consider. I mean, this is a business where you think about when they were going to go public initially. I mean, it was it was something like forty-seven, fifty billion dollars. Uh, I mean, now you're looking at yeah, around a nine billion dollar company. So, so, so a much different valuation, which which I think can can give you a little bit of a different perspective from the investing uh, mindset. Now, I I will say, so revenue of $661 million, that was 11% up from the... It was interesting the way they framed this in the release. It It was actually from the previous quarter. 
so it wasn't from a year ago and and that was where i thought was interesting they were they were using that comp from the previous quarter and sequential growth is good to see right i mean that means that we're trending back towards uh a, a stronger a stronger commercial uh, real estate pay uh, space and people are going back to the office but that that was actually down from 810 million dollars they made a year ago so it's just worth noting um if you go through their release they they would do themselves i think a favor by trying to make it less noisy and maybe they will do that you really have to kind of read through all of these adjustments and these metrics and trying to figure out exactly what they're trying to say i don't know that serves them very well but at the end of the day you look at workstation capacity right 766,000 in, in stations and workstation capacity with 432,000 memberships so the occupancy rate was 56% that's up 6 percentage points from a year ago and up 6 percentage points from just a quarter ago so again good sequential growth good year over year growth in, in regard uh, to capacity there uh, for the occupancy rate but but I do think um, it, it, it is one where they're going to have to work really hard to remind investors that this is a fundamentally different story from a number of different angles, and I think that's going to take that's going to take some time. That's going to take some time, and, and I, I think uh, it, it certainly plays into the mindset of this new uh, work paradigm, where hybrid is really going to be uh, a valuable a valuable uh, feature for for most, and 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 certainly we work gets to play in in that sandbox so to speak but but again they are they are still dealing with that former identity and and they really need to do everything they can to shed that and and, and explain that this is a new story a new company and, and really uh forging their 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 own path forward thank you for emphasizing that because that's a real thing they have to deal with that's uh, you know as you said that yeah. that is something that does not show up on the balance sheet but their reputation or, or rather, the reputation of the company that was created a couple of years ago and had to shutter its IPO plans, um, yeah, that inflicted damage, not just in terms of the IPO and what it meant for um, investors at the time who had backed that company, but it, it is the sort of thing they can recover from. But it, it they really need the calendar to flip to 2022. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's no yeah. way to speed it up. But they, as you said, there's an actual business here. Um, I guess they have had conversations about the brand and decided we're better off just keeping the WeWork name and writing this out. I'm assuming those conversations have happened. Um, but if they continue to improve on the economics of the business, and continue to grow it, uh, then over time, th that's going to become more of a distant memory, which will only help them. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right, and you're seeing signs that uh, what they're doing is working. I mean, they, they if you look at the numbers, I mean, WeWork accounts for about half a percent of U.S. office inventory overall, but they they gained share over the quarter uh, through through the leasing activity that they sold. Um, so, so they are picking up market share in the process, and they also established a relationship with Cushman and Wakefield, a commercial real estate company that uh, is going to uh, work with WeWork in, in, in promoting its workplace management software. So, I mean, this is a business I think that has a lot of options, right? I mean, they can go a number of different directions in, in, in commercial real estate. 
is a really, really big market opportunity, and there are a number of different ways to, to play it, so to speak. It, so it feels like they are. It feels like they are skating to where the puck is headed, right? In in, in regard to this this new hybrid workforce, uh, and it also feels like the optionality there with software uh, could could per, could prove to be beneficial down the line, particularly when you're when you're establishing relationships with with companies like Cushman and Wakefield. Uh, so steps in the right direction for sure, but it is it is going to have to be kind of a show me story, right? They're going to have to prove themselves, and and that that is just going to take time. This morning, Mastercard came out with their latest spending pulse report. And they detailed the expectations that retail in the U.S. next week is going to grow 10% compared to a year ago. Um, Black Friday up 20% compared to last year. And um, also interesting to see the expectations around e-commerce. Um, 7% is, is not a huge bump, but when you factor in the massive bump from 2020 compared to 2019, uh, that seems pretty reasonable. Um, we, we can get into sort of where the expectations are in terms of where the sales are going to come, but I'm, I'm curious just on the surface, what was your reaction to this report? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, certainly the the e-commerce numbers make a lot of sense. You're coming off of a, a you know real outlier sort of situation there. So while that seven percent number does seem low, when you you look at the fact that it's coming off of a fifty percent number previously, uh, definitely makes sense. I, I do feel like we are poised for a a good holiday season, and I think a lot of, we're probably going to see a little bit of pull for it. I think a lot of people are already getting out there preparing for it now. Um, I, I I think I think we're going to see some really strong physical retail performances this, this season. Uh, Matt Frankel and I, you know, we we do an industry focus uh, financial show every Monday. Last week. We were talking about a couple of his uh, his favorite REITs out there, Simon Property and Tanger Outlets. Um, in, in both companies just chalked up really good quarters, and, and their occupancy rates are on the rise. Uh, they are also seeing that tenant sales are at all time highs in the case of Tanger uh, on a square footage basis. So when you have those types of numbers, when you have that kind of data telling you uh, a particular Story. I mean, it, it seems pretty clear that that the bottom line, the bottom line result is that people are getting out there more, and and so if if you have their occupancy rates on the rise, you have their tenants selling more stuff. I mean, that tells you that folks are getting out, and and I think that's a good thing. And I think uh, I, I just sort of anecdotally, yesterday uh, my wife and I were at Tyson's Mall. She she operates a little shop and and she's over there uh, getting getting uh, it set up for the the holiday season there and I just the the traffic at the mall I, I was really kind of amazed I, really, I mean Tyson's Corner is a busy place anyway but it, it was impressive to see I mean there are a lot of people there already so to me it, it really feels like this is a holiday season where while e-commerce has been very Convenient, and, and I don't think that's really something that goes away. I think people are they're, they're itching to get out a little bit, and we're starting to see that. And so I, I do think that we're going to see a strong physical uh, performance, a physical retail performance this year, and, and I'm excited for that. Well, along those same lines, we've also had enough stories for a long enough an amount of time regarding global supply chain and yeah. container ships on the West Coast. And I think for some people, 
that's going to tip the balance to, you know what, I'm just going to go to the store in person because if I can buy it and take it home myself, then it removes the X factor of shipping. It's not to say that shipping is going to drop this year. I don't think it will. Um, but I think that that's, again, it's one more factor that, that goes in that direction. Um, one of the things in this MasterCard report dealt with sort of the, the expectations of, of where these sales are going to come, where people, what people are going to be buying next week in particular. Big focus on luxury goods um, and apparel. And you know, sort of, and when I say luxury goods, that does not include jewelry. That was sort of backed out in this report. But um, part of me just wants to fast forward and and you know get to January, and so we can see what the results are because this could be, if you think about sort of big ticket items, um, whether that's appliances. Um, anything else that sort of goes in the luxury category, maybe that uh, goes to automotive as well, um, uh, apparel as well. Uh, I don't know about you, but after reading this report, I I just spent some time thinking about like, okay, so if people are buying, where are they going to be spending money? And do I own shares of those companies already? <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think that makes a lot of sense. It feels to me like folks are going to be justifying spoiling themselves a little bit, and, and rightly so, I'd say. Uh, and so, if if that's the case, I certainly, I absolutely can see that the the luxury goods side benefiting from from that. I, I wonder too. I wonder about the experiences side of, of of this of this equation too, because I feel like probably a lot of people aren't really looking to set their home up with some big entertainment system right maybe they're a little bit less focused on the home this year because we've we've all spent a lot more time at home uh, than we probably would like to uh, so so I do wonder just from the travel and experiences side how how well that might do if people use the holidays as an opportunity to plan uh, for special trips and and, and uh, vacations that, that that'll be something worth keeping an eye on as well. Jason Moser, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. It's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.